The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Call it an October to remember. As stocks look to close out an historic month for the markets, one investor I haven't really seen since the happy days topped the TV charts more than 40 years ago. That's how good it's gotten. Earnings on deck with more than 30% of the S&P 500 set to report their results, results that are likely to dictate the market's next move. Waking up after a very busy weekend for Elon Musk and Twitter, Musk denying reports he's planning any mass layoffs as new controversies swirl. Plus, we have the latest following that attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband at their San Francisco home. And then later on, why COVID curves at one of Apple's biggest factories in China could hit production hard. Workers there revolting against new restrictions at a key contractor that makes a lot of stuff there. We've got a live report from Beijing ahead. It is Monday, October 31st, Halloween 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off your final day of October trading with U.S. equity futures slightly on the offer. Just a marginal downside move predicted at the opening bell. Right now, the Dow Jones implied lower by roughly 150 points. The S&P lower by 23 and the Nasdaq down by roughly 85, 87 points. Investors are looking to close out a pretty historic month for stocks with every major average on track to snap a two month losing streak. The top gainers for the month. Starts with the Russell 2000 small cap side of things, up nearly 11 percent and on pace for its best month since November of 2020. Then there's the Dow Transportation Index, up nearly 13 percent, as you can see here, and trying for its best month since October of 2011. But best of all is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, up more than 14 percent for the month and on pace for its best monthly performance since January of 1976. Checking now on the bond market. Yields very much in focus, as they have been for months, if not a while now, even a couple of years. The 10-year Treasury note yield ticking slightly higher to 4.06%. The two-year benchmark note yield 4.49%. The 30-year long bond just about 4.15% right now. In energy markets, oil prices, a key focus, and we are seeing them slightly lower today. Just about three-quarters of 1% to the downside, off 69 cents for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude. $87.23. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge down 56 cents, $95.21. That's off about one half of 1%. In cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ether have been seeing some nice upside moves as of late, at least for the short to medium term. But now we're seeing Bitcoin prices down by nearly 1%, 20485 the last trade there. Ethereum prices, $1,580.81. That's off one half of 1% as well. 
Let's now get to European markets with Arabile Goumede joins us now from our London newsroom. And Arabile, it looks like we do see some declines across the major indices, but they're not severe. Yeah, certainly not severe. We're in the red, unfortunately, though, is the market picture. The stock 600 below the flat line by the seams of it today as we head into what is a prodigious week and a very important week then, particularly with the having seen the ECB just last week, the European Central Bank, hike interest rates by that expected 75 basis points. We are on Thursday expecting the Bank of England to pretty much move along the same way. Of course, there has been a few question marks around moving in different directions between the BOE and Treasury then out in the UK. So the Bank of England is set to raise rates, uh, but by how much is the key question mark? Of course, inflation uh, in those double-digit numbers is the big question mark. But today... GDP numbers, those are the key question marks. That's said to come out around uh, an hour's time. Still not about to be a positive number there. But the question marks is how soon to edge forward towards that recession, which the Bank of England itself has said it is expected to happen at least later this year, if not headed off into next year. How long will that recession be is also uh, another question mark. Of course, key questions around the Fed as well and how that will influence things. We saw uh, last week... The Bank of Canada only hiked rates by 50 basis points. Does that set the tone then for general market pictures headed off into some red then? But we are seeing, of course, red for the European markets to start off this week, but also to end off October. Billy Goumede in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. To another top story this morning and a very busy first few days for Elon Musk as the new head of Twitter. Silvana Hinao is here with the rundown here. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Dom, good morning. Busy it has been for Elon Musk because he's denying reports he's planning to lay off Twitter employees prior to November 1st to avoid stock grants due to staffers that day. Now, the New York Times reported over the weekend Musk ordered the cuts across the company with some teams getting hit harder than others and that layoffs would take place before November 1st when employees were scheduled to receive stock grants as part of their compensation package. Elsewhere, Elon Musk says Twitter is revising its user verification process without giving additional details. But according to multiple reports, Twitter is considering charging users for the blue check mark at $4.99 a month, with one report saying the fee could be as high as $19.99 a month. This forcing users to pay up for verification may be coming at just the right time as advertisers begin to rethink their future plans to work with Twitter. Late Friday, General Motors said it's temporarily halting paid advertising on the platform as it, quote, engages with Twitter to understand the direction of the platform under new ownership. And speaking of new directions, Elon Musk is also considering bringing back Vine. That's the viral short video app shut down by Twitter back in 2016 as a possible TikTok competitor. Musk pulling followers on the idea and already garnering more than 1.6 million votes, Dom. Now, I remember Vine and I thought it was pretty fun. We'll keep an eye, a close eye on that, Silvana. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. Thanks, so. To the latest now on that shocking home invasion attack on the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Police still have yet to offer a possible motive in the assault on Paul Pelosi, with the suspect facing attempted murder and other charges as well. That attack spurring plenty of partisan finger-pointing and creating fresh fears of political violence, with just one week left to go until the midterm elections. NBC's Drew Petromo joins us now from Washington, D.C. with more on that. Drew, what can you tell us about this situation and how it's developing? 
Yeah, good morning, Dominic. You've probably seen it on your TV screens and social media accounts. The rhetoric leading into these midterm elections has often been very heated. And some think that leads to an environment where these types of incidents can occur. After an attack on the family of a top Democratic Party leader, politicians from both sides of the aisle are taking to the airwaves to condemn the violence. Well, we've got to figure out how to bring our country back together where we have a civil conversation and, you know, we we have no violence. I mean, this what happened to uh, Paul Pelosi is despicable. It's unacceptable. I think it is really important that people realize uh, that it is not just this moment of this horrific attack, but that we have seen violence perpetrated uh, throughout our political system. The suspect in the attack, 42-year-old David DePop, due in court today, set to face charges that include attempted murder. Police say he broke into the San Francisco home of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and attacked her husband, Paul. New details in the investigation revealing zip ties were found in the Pelosi home as officials interview the suspect and review his online activity. This guy is sort of the picture of radicalization on the Internet. Fifteen years ago, in 2007, he was posting pretty standard uh, anti-war left-wing viewpoints. Then there's a 15-year gap on his blog. And in 2022, he's posting QAnon and Pizzagate. As heated midterm battles continue across the country, a renewed focus on political violence. U.S. Capitol Police say threats against members of Congress more than doubled in the past five years. We have to do something about this amplification um, of this election-denying hate speech that we see on the Internet. It's disgusting. This, this, this violence is horrible. As Congress considers new measures to protect elected officials. Now, Mr. Pelosi remains in the hospital this morning. In a letter to colleagues over the weekend, the speaker saying the family is heartbroken and tra- traumatized, but that Mr. Pelosi's condition continues to improve. Reporting from Washington, I'm Drew Petromo. Dominic, back to you. All right. Thank you very much for that, Drew. When we come back on the show, gearing up for the busiest week of earnings season, the names that need to be on your radar ahead of the tape next, plus... Fed officials investigating one self-driving truck company for its suspected ties to China. Federal regulators checking that out. And later on, much more on Elon Musk's Twitter takeover and what it could mean for the midterm elections. Yes, midterm elections are just one week away. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now are pointing towards some fractional losses ahead of the opening bell. This is all ahead of another very busy week on earnings season here for Wall Street. Nearly a third of the S&P 500 is set to report this week. We'll hear from names like Pfizer, also Qualcomm, CVS Health, Marriott Hotels, PayPal, Peloton, Starbucks, and more, as you can see on the calendar, as investors look towards this wide range of industry leaders for insight on things like consumer behavior, also the inflation picture, supply chain disruptions, the strong U.S. dollar, and the overall state of the economy ahead of the Fed's November meeting. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Bill Stone, chief investment officer of the Glenview Trust Company. Bill, uh, I reeled off a lot of microeconomic factors as well as the macroeconomic ones, literally Fed policy very much front and center. As you take a look at the current state of play right now in the markets, is it fair to say that the markets have found at least a short term side of stability for the markets, given the fundamentals that we're seeing on both that micro and macro side of things? Yeah, I think so. You know, one is certainly the earnings side. So while we're still trailing what we were expecting earnings growth rate to be going into this quarter, uh, it's not a disaster. So we're at about 2.2% year over year uh, earnings growth. We we're supposed to be at 2.8, but we've been clawing back. Yes, or last week was a busy week as well for earnings and, and we clawed back some. I, I expect we'll, we'll end up hopefully a little bit above where we thought we'd be, uh, if not very close by the end. And I think you know, on the other side, the inflation has boosted the sales side of things. So revenues have actually showed up pretty well. Obviously, what we've seen from companies is guidance means a heck of a lot in these kind of uncertain times. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of bad news got priced in. So it, you know, laid down some stability. And then, like you said, on the macro, we've at least seen some view that, that we may be getting near some, you know, at least a, an easing, not easing, I shouldn't say that. It wouldn't, won't be an easing from the Fed, but at least a, uh, a slowdown in the pace of hikes. How about that? So, so Bill, the, the charts that we're showing viewers right now, uh, listeners on SiriusXM, the major averages, they've had a nice run for the month of October, but we are still well off the highs that we've seen just in, in August. And we're certainly well below the highs still that we saw back at the record levels earlier this year and in the fall for the Nasdaq. Is this a situation where you would be adding to stock market investments right now or waiting to see where the trend really develops? You know, so I'm going to say two things. So one is, yeah, we've had a heck of a run. I obviously probably wouldn't be as aggressive as I would have been, you know, hey, you know, whatever it is about uh, 9% ago. But that being said, we're still, as you mentioned, down close to 20%. Anytime you're down close to 20% off the highs, historically, it's worked out in terms of your forward returns eventually showing up being, you know, better than average. So uh, I don't think there's any reason to stop, you know, particularly if you were kind of dripping in dollar cost averaging in, if you will. Um, you know, I don't think there's any reason not to continue doing that. Bill, we've got a few moments left here. Where would you be putting money to work right now? Is it in things like stocks? If so, which sectors? Is it in high yield credit, other parts of the market? I mean, I still think stocks give you the, the most attractive risk reward over the long run. And again, we're still off 20%. Um, you know, I, I'd probably be fishing a bit in that technology pool uh, that has really, you know, gotten hit. You know, I'd say we we certainly like Amazon. We liked it before it got hit last week, like it you know, now. So I think looking through the what we think will be a recession, that's the kind of company that comes out stronger. And that's what we're trying to look for. All right. Bill Stone, 
at Glenview. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Still on deck for the show. $2 and a dream ahead of a historic lottery drawing later on tonight. Plus, crypto bulls bidding up the price of one digital asset in the wake of Musk's Twitter deal. We've got your top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. First up is Emerson Electric, selling a majority stake in its climate technologies business to Blackstone, the private equity firm. The Wall Street Journal says the deal is expected to be announced today and it values the division at $14 billion, including debt. Now, Emerson has been reshuffling its businesses after announcing an $11 billion merger of its software units with rival Aspen Technology last year. Blackstone unchanged pre-market right now, but Emerson up about 1%. Too Simple is being investigated by the FBI, SEC, and the Committee on Foreign Investment over its ties to a Chinese startup. The Wall Street Journal reports authorities are looking at whether the maker of self-driving trucks and its executives failed to properly disclose the relationship with Hydron and shared intellectual property developed in the United States. Hydron, which was launched by Too Simple's co-founder, is building hydrogen-fueled self-driving trucks. Those two simple shares now down about 5% pre-market. And Stellantis says its joint venture that made and sold the Jeep brand in China will file for bankruptcy. The automaker has struggled to jumpstart the sales in that country. In July, it said it would end the venture with Guangzhou Auto Group taking a nearly $300 million charge off its first half results. Stellantis shares off about one-third of 1% in the pre-market trade. Well, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Monday morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Seoul, South Korea was the site of unimaginable tragedy over the weekend. More than 150 people were killed in a street crush during Halloween celebrations. Two American college students are among the dead. Most of the victims are young women. The South Korean president has ordered an emergency review after what he called a disaster that should never happen. Brazil's runoff presidential election has resulted in a change of power. Left-leaning candidate Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva has been certified as the winner, beating out the ultra-conservative Jair Bolsonaro. Lula previously served as president from 2003 until 2010. Lottery fever is heating up once again to near record highs. Nobody walked away with the jackpot in Saturday's Powerball drawing, pushing the prize money north of $1 billion for just the second time in the game's history. Powerball estimates the cash value of the jackpot at just below half a billion. The drawing for that massive prize is tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern. A lot of daydreaming today will be going on, Dom. Back to you. $2 and a dream. I'll be picking up a ticket on my way home. Philip Mena, thank you very much for that. Still on deck for the show, Taylor Swift reminding folks why she's one of music's biggest acts with her new album. The staggering statistics on just how well it's done after just one week. And your morning's other top trending stories. That's coming up. We'll be right back on Worldwide Exchange after this. Stop.
stocks looking to snap a two-month losing streak, with the Dow set to notch its best monthly performance in nearly 50 years. Futures right now pointing to pressure at the opening bell. Tech stocks looking to shake off a rough week. Shares of the sector's biggest players are tumbling on earnings, shedding billions in market cap. But could those pains be a buying opportunity for some of these beaten-up blue-chip techs and a potential blow for Apple? As a new report suggests, a big drop-off in production for one of its key products amid COVID crackdowns in China. We're live in Beijing with the very latest there this Monday, October 31st, Halloween morning on Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get right to stock futures on this final day of October trading. We are looking at losses, although fractional ones. The Dow's implied lower by 150 points, the S&P off by about 22, and the Nasdaq down by about 78 points at this stage. It's been, though, a solid month for the Dow, up more than 14 percent in October and on pace for its best monthly performance since, get this, January of 1976. Also in focus right now, energy prices. They're on the offer, slightly lower today, relatively speaking. We're off about three quarters of 1% for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI oil prices, currently sitting at just around $87.26. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $95.29, off about one half of 1%. Back to the broader markets right now and technology stocks looking to shake off a rough week. Shares of some of the biggest players in the sector, including Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta Platforms, as you can see there, the company formerly known as Facebook, sinking on earnings and losing more than $250 billion, a quarter trillion dollars in market value combined in just a single week. But could those pains be a buying opportunity for some of these beaten up names? Let's ask Rocco Strauss, senior research at Arate Research, senior research analyst there, and Sarah Kunst, who's the managing director at Clio Capital. Uh, Cleo, perhaps, uh, I'm sorry, Sarah, we'll start with you first. This idea of technology being the leaders pretty much of every market rally since the financial crisis emergence has led some to question whether or not this time could be different or is it the same? I wonder if you are seeing some signs of life given that massive sell off that we've seen in blue chip tech stocks over the last week. I mean, you know, tech stocks were were the leader on the way up and they are the leader on the way down. And so, you know, I think one of the things to look at here is that these stocks have been up so much and they're not all down, right? You have names like Apple that's actually up a little bit year over year. And that's a huge difference from, you know, peers like Meta that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg personally has lost $100 billion off of his net worth this year alone. And so, you know, I think that some of these tech names are going to have to get creative to to sort of get a shot in the arm. You know, I think it's time to to think about you know, what do they do to to drive newness, right? And, and you know, are they right as public company stocks? So, you know, Snap might be a company that, you know, they're facing so many headwinds. They might be a company that's not public forever. They might be, you know, the next to, to go of the take private targets like user testing and, and Twitter. And so, you know, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of different solutions to this problem, but certainly most of the large cap tech stocks are going to need to figure out something different because this has just not been their year. So, so, I mean, Rocco, Sarah brings up a great point, and it's one that we've kind of spoken at length about over the course of the last several months and maybe even years, that Apple seems to be 
at least in some ways, that safe haven trade for a lot of folks out there, right? And even this past week with tech volatility, it acted in the same way. I wonder, from your expert side of things covering companies like this, can you tell us why Apple versus the others? What's the difference, and, and, and what do you think is the prospect for many of these tech names vis-a-vis what happened with Apple over this past week? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree on putting Apple in that, in that spotlight, right? Because what they have shown compared to the other is um, a focus on profitability. So they can squeeze uh, literally pennies out of every iPhone um, you know, producer or you know, supplier um, of certain parts. Um, that's helping them. While, you know, if you look at Meta or Google, you know, on the side, um, they all have never really experienced a downturn like this. In 08, 09, they have been still very small companies. Um, with respect to Google, you still have, um, you know, opportunity to squeeze margin, right? Shift budgets from the network business more onto its own sites. Um, call Apple's bluff potentially um, on search. You know, they're paying them seven to eight billion dollars um, on an annual basis. Um, then you have Meta on the other side, um, who is not able to do that. Um, they are shifting more and more of their consumption time into Reels, uh, which is monetizing at lower CPMs, as it is more brand versus um, direct response advertising. Um, and at the same time, as we all are aware, um, Mark Zuckerberg is not scaling back on its ambitions around the metaverse. And here's the biggest problem that actually kicks in. Um, and you think back about, you know, like how Android or iOS were built on existing technology. You know, like think about like Nokia and Palm um, and all these guys putting a lot of work into building the, that kind of infrastructure. Or think about Search, you know, that was just built on the existing World Wide Web. Zuckerberg now has to kind of like build the metaverse, build the infrastructure, build um, user behaviors around that. And it is tricky and costs a lot more money on, um, on aggregate um, than what it has cost to build something like iOS or Android. Uh, you know, Sarah, I, I guess the, the interesting part about this discussion is whether or not many of these fundamental points about why there is weakness out there because of the money that some of these companies, Meta specifically, will have to spend in the coming months and years versus what the valuations are right now. I, I mean, Alphabet, the parent company of Google, has already lost a third of its value over the past year. It's been even worse for Meta, which is now down 70 percent in that time. How much lower could some of these names go before they become attractive from a fundamental basis? You know, this is not a monolith we're looking at, right? So with something like Meta, uh, it is very, very low, but I'm still scared to touch it because I just think that until the metaverse, you know, stops being the core focus of the business, it's going to be a rough ride. I mean, I would go as far to say that that Meta needs to start considering, you know, what might it look like to do something like spin out WhatsApp, right? And say, hey, this could be this could be a standalone company and and you know, get some get some leverage for investors there. I, I think that, you know, the PayPal and eBay example years ago prove it's possible. So, you know, Meta is a company that I'm unfortunately just still not bullish on. Um, whereas, you know, Amazon, I don't think Amazon's going out of business. I don't think Microsoft's going out of business. These are big, complex businesses that you can't really replace um, as an enterprise user. And, and so... If you sell on Amazon, you don't want Amazon to go out of business, even though you might be mad at them from time to time. If you use Microsoft Office, you know, you don't want them to go out of business. If you use Azure, you're going to keep paying them. So, you know, I want to see Microsoft go a little bit lower, but I'm certainly still, you know, bullish that there is a buy opportunity there. Whereas, you know, some of these social media companies, Meta, you know, Pinterest, names like Snap, I'm not ready to touch. All right. So, Rocco, the, the, you're, a, you're an analyst who covers many of these names for a living. It's your job to have favorites, buys versus sells versus neutrals. So what is it that's compelling to you right now? Where is the best opportunity? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with what Sarah is saying, especially around Microsoft. Um, you know, if you think about the metaverse and what that actually means, um, it's still unclear to a large extent. Um, but if you think about Microsoft, you know, like closing the deal with Activision, you know, getting closer with Netflix, you know, like be that a partnership or a future acquisition uh, potential, um, thinking about what they do on the B2B side with LinkedIn and Teams um, and so on. And potentially, you know, let's see what's actually happening with TikTok as we're all aware that the data actually or the algorithm is touching Chinese server infrastructure. There's a good chance that either TikTok, you know, is going to be blocked in the U.S. or, you know, has to fire sale um, that office, uh, that business um, to someone like Microsoft or Again, to what Sarah, you know, initially said, um, you know, like Snap could be a potential acquisition target for Microsoft as well. Putting all of that together, you have potentially the better metaverse um, than what Facebook can actually be building. Um, and I guess there, you know, alongside Apple on the, on the profitability side um, are your topics. All right. Alphabet, Snap, and Microsoft among the buy-rated companies for Rocco Strauss. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Sarah Kunz, to you as well. Let's get a check on some of your morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Well, the European Union is calling on Russia to reverse its decision to pull out of a United Nations negotiated grain deal with Ukraine. Moscow suspending its role in the agreement Saturday, citing Ukraine's attack on Russian warships. U.N. officials say the move puts the main export route for much-needed grain and fertilizer at risk, potentially worsening the ongoing global food shortage. Tesla reportedly holding talks with major cobalt producer Glencore about taking a stake in the Swiss Commodities Group. According to the Financial Times, initial talks between the two sides began last year and would have involved Tesla taking a 10 to 20 percent stake. However, the FT says talks ended with no deal, with Tesla having concerns with whether Glencore's extensive coal mining business was compatible with its environmental goals. And increasing COVID restrictions in China, potentially hitting production of Apple's iPhones. According to Reuters, Foxconn's plant in the central part of that country has been hit by strict measures to curb outbreaks of the virus. The report says that could result in a drop of up to 30 percent in production of the smartphones at the facility, Dom. And now, thank you very much for that. Let's stay on this story. Foxconn is disputing reports that about 20,000 of the staff at that Chinese production facility have been diagnosed with COVID. This after videos emerged over the weekend showing migrant workers fleeing from that facility over apparent concerns about the virus and strict lockdown measures taking place. Yunus Yun joins us now from Beijing with more on this. Yunus, what can you tell us? Well, Dom, uh, Foxconn just gave an interview to the local media where they renewed their pledge to improve life under their COVID curb. So um, in the article, they said that uh, they would make sure that their meals as well as other services uh, would be much better. One of the big complaints of the workers on social media has been about the quality of the food. They said that the canteen is going to resume by November 1st. Also, medical care and transportation, they said, would be provided to the infected. That was another big gripe that we were seeing on social media among Foxconn workers. And then finally, uh, they said that they would offer bonuses to stay up to 14 U.S. dollars per day, could be even more. Um, Of course, one of the big concerns has been to make sure that there are enough workers on the campuses because this is a a very heavy time when when there's a lot of production heading into the Christmas season. Uh, Foxconn had said before that they're also coordinating with some of their other factories in order to make sure that their production isn't going to be affected. However, over the weekend, we did see uh, streams, uh, uh, videos of streams of people 
people are marching, um, sometimes in fields, um, sometimes volunteers saying that they're offering uh, food and water to the Foxconn workers who are leaving the campuses to try to head to their hometowns. There are a lot of uh, local authorities who've said that they're quite concerned about the stream of these people um, and that the potential for those locations uh, to be, um, from, from these local officials' perspectives, infected and that they wanted to make sure that the, the uh, local Foxconn workers, that Foxconn workers would inform the local jurisdictions so that they could also be in quarantine. So this is all happening and really highlights uh, some of the troubles that China is having as it heads um, into the winter. In fact, we heard more on other business disruptions such as Shanghai Disneyland um, uh, Dom saying that they're going to suspend their operations for the theme park um, indefinitely because of um, some COVID outbreaks. And in fact, uh, people aren't being allowed out of the park until they test negative. So, so Eunice, with that being said, it, it's not out of the realm of reason, right, for some of these Foxconn reports to be coming out. It's getting more attention because of the cross-section with Apple and what it says about iPhone demand. Can you take us through, though, has there been any kind of statement or any kind of new new policy that's been enunciated to the public from the government with regard to these new COVID lockdowns? Are they responding to public pressure in any way? This is all coming, of course, after the party Congress just took place. What exactly is the feel? I think that... On the contrary, it seems as though these zero COVID protocols are becoming more aggressive um, in that uh, local officials want to make sure that they are following whatever the leadership, and in particular President Xi Jinping, has to say. As you all know, the zero COVID policy is very closely tied with Xi Jinping, so a lot of the officials want to make sure that they are seen to be doing what is expected of them by the leadership. So uh, we hear about... Um, here in Beijing, as well as in other places, uh, places just shutting down over over one COVID cases, and oftentimes people are are trapped inside uh, that building, and that they're not able to leave for um, several days. In fact, in one case, personally, I've heard of um, uh, people who were supposed to be at a brunch, they went there, and then now the whole place is shut down, and they're locked in for 10 days. So you see, hear these types of anecdotes all the time. All right, Eunice Yoon, live from Beijing with the latest on the next wave of COVID lockdowns in China. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Uh, coming up on the show, the last dash to the midterm elections. Stiefel's Brian Gardner lays out where things stand for Democrats and Republicans in the final week before these big midterm elections and the fight for control in Washington, D.C. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories this morning. Taylor Swift's latest album debuting with a bang. Swift's Midnight debuting at number one, her 11th album to do so, selling more than a million copies in its first week. The album also breaking vinyl sales records as well. Massive moves for Taylor Swift. Fans of James Cameron's Avatar better get comfy for the long-awaited sequel. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Avatar, The Way of Water, has a runtime of more than three hours. The movie debuts on December 16th, 13 years after the original Avatar debut. And Dogecoin seeing a bounce thanks to Elon Musk's deal for Twitter. Musk has been a big-time supporter of the cryptocurrency, leading to increased enthusiasm among investors as the Tesla CEO wrapped up his deal for the social media platform. Dogecoin up about 3.5% right now. Worldwide Exchange is back after this.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. With just over one week until the midterm elections, two developing stories this morning that could potentially mark a momentum shift for both sides of the aisle. First, we continue to watch the latest following the attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband at their San Francisco home on Friday morning. NBC's Maura Barrett joins us now live from San Francisco with the latest there. Good morning, Maura. Good morning. Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, is still in the hospital this morning, recovering from surgery after suffering a skull fracture and severe injuries to his arm and hands. After we've learned an attacker broke in through the rear window early Friday morning and then went upstairs, which is where he found Mr. Pelosi. Mr. Pelosi was able to make a secret phone call to 911, police calling uh, the elevation from the 911 operator to get police here within minutes, uh, calling it a life-saving action. Nancy Pelosi breaking her silence over the weekend, releasing a statement, a letter to her colleagues saying that she's heartbroken and traumatized by this violent attack that her husband went through, considering that she is now aware and, and the DA confirmed uh, that the attacker was, in fact, looking for the speaker herself. But she did say that her husband's condition uh, is improving. Now, the suspect also remains in the hospital, though officials haven't confirmed exactly why the district attorney telling me over the weekend that she intends to announce charges today at some point, And she will bring uh, attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, burglary uh, and other felony charges related to Friday's attack, Dom. Maura, is there is there anything that that we've learned, anything more that we can understand or know about who the suspect is? What I mean, why why this person was at the Pelosi residence at all? Well, officials have told us that he was looking for Nancy Pelosi, a source familiar with the investigation, said that when he entered the home, he shouted, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? And he told officers when they arrived, he said, we are waiting for Nancy. And now what's interesting is that investigators are looking into his online activity. And about 15 years ago, he was someone posting more liberal anti-war type uh, content online. But over the last 15 years and more recently, it appears that he's become more ingrained in that QAnon community, posting conspiracy theories about about uh, anti-vaccine, uh, aliens, uh, voter fraud, those types of things. And so it appears to be someone that has gotten ingrained in that community, uh, kind of exemplifying the effect of physical violence that we see as a result of online disinformation. This is something that Capitol Police have said they've seen an in incredible uptick in the last five years, of threats against members of Congress more than doubling. So all of this obviously coming as we're talking about the intensity of the, the dichotomy of political discourse right now, just not Nine days until the election, Don. All right. Maura Barrett, live in San Francisco. Thank you very much for that. Now, adding fuel to the fire, growing concerns over Elon Musk, now the de facto owner of Twitter, and his recently deleted tweet propagating an unfounded conspiracy theory about the attack on Mr. Pelosi. This as Musk says he plans to create a content moderation council for Twitter before reinstating any banned accounts, including that, importantly, of former President Donald Trump. Now, back in May, Musk said he would reinstate Trump if the acquisition were to go through. Joining me now to parse through all of this is Stiefel Financial's chief Washington policy strategist, Brian Gardner, also the co-host of the Potomac Perspective podcast, a gentleman that you've seen quite a bit on our air these days because of the nature of this midterm election. Brian, it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, we spoke the last time, just about a week, week and a half or so ago, about the midterms and how important they are to America this narrative, is it going to change at all, given what we've seen develop over the past weekend? I don't think so, Dom. I, I continue to think this is about the economy and a referendum on the Biden administration. Now, let's take the two 
issues that you just covered in the piece before me, uh, Twitter um, and the change in control of Twitter with Elon Musk taking over, I, I think that can have an impact on 24. I think it's just far too late. And as you noted, uh, he hasn't instituted that moderation council yet. These are ongoing developments. So I, I, I don't I don't see a Twitter impact uh, on, on the current election. The Pelosi incident could, I'm, I'm skeptical, but it has a better chance of of kind of impacting the emotions of people and, and shifting the election a little bit, at least at the margins. But again, I think the overriding issue in this election is the economy, and it's just lining up very well for Republicans. So, so Brian, I, th- this is a, a situation right now where if you look at the way things are shaping up narrative wise, there's been a massive shift in momentum just over the course of the last, call it two or three months with regard to stories developing. We had talked the last time about how abortion rights were front and center for a good while, and then the economy came kind of roaring back. This Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi issue, in your mind, if it doesn't change the narrative at all, how exactly then do both sides and their respective campaigns respond or use this information, or does, does it cause more confusion for the electorate? Yeah, I think it could cause confusion for the electorate. How, and in terms of how the two parties respond, um, you have to be careful. Uh, you don't want to be seen as one being either callous and uncaring, or at the same time um, uh, being manipulative or trying to take advantage of a bad situation. That that can be uh, counterproductive uh, if Democrats responded in the wrong way. And I, I don't think either party has. I think most most members of both parties. Have, have handled this appropriately. They've said the right things in the right tone. So I, I do think that, um, that it, it doesn't raise the issue into uh, the, the incident, I should say, uh, into a, a broader election issue. And, and, and before we let you go, we, we've got a few moments left here. You, you mentioned the, the, the Elon Musk Twitter side of things and, and possibly President Trump making his way back to social media. In, in, your, in your opinion, how exactly does that kind of change the optics around social media and the focus on it right now with Elon Musk and Twitter, with President, former President Donald Trump and Truth Social, his media platform. And then, of course, with the reports of Kanye West now buying Parler, how exactly does the narrative change given all of that dynamic with Twitter just at the side of things right now, but with other social media platforms on the more conservative side of things also in the mix? It's interesting, the the growth of competition for Twitter. um, And if the president were to the former president were to be allowed back on Twitter, I actually think that that lowers the temperature on Capitol Hill. If with the proviso, if Republicans take over, um, you know, I I thought that they would go after social media, at least uh, from a headline risk perspective and holding hearings and considering uh, changes to to telecom law that, that could impact social media. But the fact that uh, alternative platforms are uh, are evolving and elevating their presence and if Twitter changes its policies, it actually could placate Republicans a little bit and lower the political risk for the social media uh, industry in general. Um, You know, it's something that I think Republicans wanted to look at if they do flip the House Um, might lower the temperature a little bit on that. All right. Social media, big focus right now for sure. Brian Gardner, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Keep Tom. it right here. Worldwide Exchange is back after this commercial break. 
A very busy week ahead for Wall Street among the events topping the calendar for investors. Tuesday marks the start of the Federal Reserve's two-day policy meeting on rates. We'll also hear from AMD, Airbnb, Uber, and Clorox, amongst others, on earnings. The hits keep coming on Tuesday with ISM manufacturing, construction spending, and the Jolts jobs report. Wednesday, it's earnings from Qualcomm, CVS, Etsy, and Yum! Brands. Also, the ADP employment report and the Fed rate decision. And then Thursday, we'll get results from PayPal, ConocoPhillips, Starbucks, Peloton, as well as initial jobless claims and ISM services. And then Friday is the granddaddy of them all, the October jobs report, always seen as one of the biggest economic news factors that influences markets. So let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Pivotal Advisors. She's also a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, there's no shortage of catalysts. What's most important to you this coming week? Well, Don, you said it. You should be my, my intro every single time I'm on, because actually you are, right? So the Fed, everybody is watching the Fed this week. And in addition to, listen, I think consensus is that the Fed is going to raise uh, rates, about 75 basis points. Um, so I'm definitely paying attention to that. But I think also I'm paying attention to the forward guidance, right? And so the Fed has been very clear um, that they want that uh, they want uh, inflation at, at that 2% target. And so the Fed, of course, uh, watches a PCE, um, and we all, all watch a CPI, of course, but those are lagging indicators. And I think that you know, the mo- they're more current indicators um, that right now are signaling that the economy uh, is actually, the prices are actually starting to decline. So when you look at commodity prices, um, you know, those are starting to come down. Uh, in, in kind of like, like patches, housing prices as well. And it takes a while for declining prices to be reflected in CPI or PCE. So, you know, that, that's definitely a concern of mine. So I'm looking to see whether the Fed is going to pay attention to things other than PC, PCE um, in terms of um, whether they're going to start, when they're going to start kind of uh, tapering back those, those hikes. Now, now um, Tiffany, and then of course, Tiffany, you know, Tiffany, um, Tiffany uh, could yeah. I, I'm just going to stop you there for a second because we've got a limited amount of time. Uh, if that's the case... Yeah. Is this a market that you can then buy? I mean, would you feel comfortable doing so or do you have to wait for all these data points to come out before you put money to work or take it off the table? No, I don't think you have to wait. So the first thing is, you know, uh, one of your earlier guests talked about buying tech. So, you know, right now, even though we, we have seen a bit of a rally, I think tech is still still a good thing to buy. Uh, we focus, we're focusing on, on high quality companies and we're continuing to selectively add equities. And so one of the things that we're looking at is total yield, right? So in addition to high quality companies, we're looking at companies that are paying cons- consistent dividends and also high buyback yield. That's a really good way to add uh, value to shareholders. It increases the demand for stock, which increases the price per share. And the cool thing about the, uh, the, the high um, buyback yield, in it, which is a little bit different than, than receiving dividends, is that you don't pay taxes until you sell it. Okay. Until you sell the stock. So, you know, companies that engage in regular buybacks really tend to do well over time as well, too. All right, Tiffany, we've got a little time left here. Your top picks. So two, keeping in line with that theme, Lowe's has a total uh, trailing 12-month yield of about 13%, and Capital One has a total uh, trailing 12-month yield of 20%. All right. Tiffany McGee with the latest on the stock picks there. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets right now are pointing to some marginal losses at the opening bell. You can see the Dow is implied lower by just about 130 points. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. Keep it right here. We'll see you tomorrow. Happy Halloween. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.